everyone. I want to welcome you guys again to the City Life Church. If I could start by dismissing our children for Kids Church. Come on, let's give it up for them. <laughs> we get up for them every week because we get excited for them. We know that God's not just concerned with their future. He wants to impart to them tonight. So we cheer for them every week. But if you've been tracking with us here on Saturday nights, you know that we've been in a series called ASAP. And we've kind of repurposed that acronym to mean as soon as prayer. So Pastor Fred has been starting all his sermons with some acronyms. And uh, I think it was maybe three weeks ago, he educated us all on YOLO. So some of you parents know what your kids have been saying for the past, oh, six months. I think it was two weeks ago, he did a bunch that just went over my head. I think he was appealing to like the NASA workers and all the engineers in the room. I had no idea what any of them meant. So I'm sitting back this week. I'm like, man, what can, what can I bring to the table acronym-wise? I'm like, cash was everything around me. No, let's not go with that. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, every time I would close my eyes, I would just see this picture. And I'd be like, ah, RG3. You know, that's all I could think of. It stands for Robert Griffin III. If you don't follow football, he's the Redskins' new quarterback. And this weekend, he has a chance to be only the second quarterback in history to have 1,000 yards in his first four games. Some of you are like, I don't care. I'll do your cheering. But uh, some of you, I wasn't even just speaking English right there. But uh, I, I wish his, his acronym RG3 was followed in the box score more with W's. So that's to deflect any trash talk that might come my way. I'll admit we need some more W's, but I'll take some RG3. But uh, we've been in a series called ASAP, and the premise is, is simply this, as soon as prayer. When we're in a crisis, when we have needs, when we're waiting for something we can't imagine living without, when our situation seems hopeless and when our turn has not yet come, God simply says, ASAP, as soon as prayer. And if what you're waiting for hasn't happened yet, pray. Because prayer is what God is waiting for. And if you've already prayed, pray again. Because prayer is the only place you will find the patience, endurance, and perseverance to continue trusting in the timing of a sovereign God. You see, God's not only sovereign, but he's also, he's outside of time. And there's a lot of times we might be praying to God, exhausting ourselves in prayer. Like, God, are you even listening? God, do you even care? And God would say, I've already said yes. I see you and I see the yes that's waiting. And he can give you the patience and perseverance to get there. But we've been looking from Job 21, 15, drawing from this. And the first portion says, who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? We're going to get to that starting probably next week in October, this uh, clad, clad, sorry, another acronym. Clad, yeah, Pastor Fred had an alliteration addiction. He still has one. Now he's developing an acronym addiction. So we're going to have an interve intervention. David, our English major, pretty soon keeps it up. But uh, we've, we're, we've been looking this past month at what good will it do us to pray? The second part of this verse. Because for a lot of us, we know about prayer. We know what it is. I mean, even I could say, like, a lot of my unsaved friends, they know what prayer is. They understand it. And at the same time, we can look at our lives and be like, well, why don't I pray more? And Pastor Fred's been looking at various reasons. Procrastination, perseverance, they all start with P. Again, there's an alliteration addiction there. But tonight, I just want to draw from one verse, and then I, I want to pull truth from that. But I want to start with a question I'll pose to all you guys. Have any of you guys ever been in the presence of somebody famous, and who was it? Sabre, your hand shot up. Starstruck. Happens to me every time. <laughs> yep. Steve. The first president, George Bush. Wow. Wow. Mr. Fasil. 
<laughs> All right, there you go. Shake hands. <laughs> Sandy. I'm sorry, what? Oliver North. Nice, nice. Yes. <laughs> These people, probably not. <laughs> Derek. Andy Minio. I knew that one was coming. At the uprising. Dustin. Rebecca St. James and her band. You fed her. That's cool. Now, let me ask another question. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody famous and not realized it? Like, afterwards, somebody had to tell you, do you know who that was that you want to flight with? Okay. Sean Bay. <laughs> who was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was it? Crazy man, the comedian. So tell me in a minute. All right, KG, did you raise your hand? No. Abby. Tyrod Taylor. Jordan probably told you, huh? Oh, you were there? But who told you it was him? It wasn't Jordan? It was Jordan. Jordan said it was him. But you can come back, Sean Bay. If you get it later, just raise your hand. I'll get you. But uh, we see in Scripture, if you turn to John 4, Jesus is with the woman at the well. And I love this passage because you can draw so much from it. It just shows how rich the word is. But I was reading this, and we're in this series ASAP, as soon as prayer. And verse 10 hit me. Because Jesus is at this well with this woman, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she's kind of taken aback, because at that time, Samaritans and Jews, they didn't converse much. They didn't have anything to do with each other, really. So she's like, why would you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water? And this is Jesus' reply. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Essentially what he says is if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me. And what he would say to us tonight is if you knew or if you know who you're talking to when you pray, you'll pray and you'll pray all the more. You see, there's a direct correlation between a lack of prayer and a lack of knowing God. In other words, our knowledge of who God is and what his will is will serve as a ceiling on our prayer life. Now, the good news is, is that God is infinite. God is eternal, so we can continue to set that bar higher and higher on our prayer life as we get to know him. But we can cripple our prayer life if, if we don't stay acquainted with who God is, stay familiar with who he is. And I, and I use the word stay because for a lot of us, we probably grew up in church. We would say, I know who God is. But then we look at our life again in this series ASAP, and it's like, why don't I pray more? Why do I work so much and pray so little? And honestly, if we're all honest, I could be honest. Sometimes I look at my life, and I'm like, this is disproportionate. The work I do and the prayer I put in, I need to simply pray more. Because i got to realize that God can do more in response to one heartfelt prayer than I could do in a lifetime of prayerless labor. You know, that's the power of prayer. And I love the way John Piper puts it. He says, the prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying alone to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know Clark Kent is on board. Come on, if we realize who we're rolling with in life, we won't exhaust ourselves pushing and working. We'll exhaust ourselves on our knees in prayer because when we realize who we're talking to, who we're rolling with, we'll ask, we'll pray. That's why we can be so thankful for the Gospels. Come on, one commentator puts it this way. It's Christology in narrative form. Essentially, it's the closest thing to a biography we'll ever have of Jesus Christ. And it explains when you read the Gospels, Jesus prayed more than anybody. I mean, you see Jesus praying morning, night, every, it seems every moment, although he does take naps, like Pastor Fred has pointed out. I love to cling to that. But you see him praying. 
again and again. You could say he prayed more than anybody. And I would submit to you that, no, he wasn't schizophrenic, but Jesus prayed more than anyone because he knew better than anyone who God is, what his character is. There's this great quote by A.W. Tozer that says the most portentous, that's a $5 Pastor Fred word if I ever knew one, that, it, that means significant or telling. So the most telling fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Come on, the way you view God will affect your prayer life, and then the way you pray will affect your life. I love this Mark Batterson quote. It says, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. That's so good. I'd love to say I, I came up with that, but that's, that's Mark Batterson. But to get back to Tozer, he completes his point saying, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way toward curing them. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of a thousand temporal problems. Come on, that man is relieved of a thousand temporal problems because when he has a right belief about God, he becomes a man of prayer. When you realize who you're talking to, you'll, prayer all the, you'll pray all the more. You'll ask all the more. So tonight I want to look at two characteristics of God that might be familiar to us, but that it should spark our prayer life. Because sometimes we look at our problems, we look at our issues, and we focus on them so much that they seem bigger than God. It seems like our issues are so deeply rooted that somehow God couldn't weed them out or pull them out of our lives. But the first point I want to look at tonight is quite simply that God doesn't have T-Rex arms. God does not have the arms of a T-Rex. You can subtitle that God's glorious power. Now let me, let me preface this. When I grew up, I was terrified of T-Rexes. Like I would sleep with one eye open thinking there could be a raptor in my hallway. Nick's nodding his head because when we grew up, Jurassic Park was out. When we grew up, when we saw T-Rexes, they were literally eating people in poorly planned amusement parks. And nowadays, nowadays kids don't have that same fear. When I thought of T-Rex, the T stood for terrifying. But now, these days, you think of T-Rexes and you ask your kid about T-Rexes and they might mention this goofy looking guy, Rex from the Toy Story, this perpetually smiling, happy-go-lucky piece of plastic. And then, a lesser known movie, what's it called? Meet the Robinsons. They have a pet T-Rex. I'm like, are you serious? This is the OG of Predators. This is the original Predator. Like, he wore the crown of King of the Forest before the Cowardly Lion ever wanted it. He was the original Predator. And yet, because he's got, I guess, the little goofy arms, it, you know, kids just think, oh, it's just a T-Rex. But uh, I actually want to make this my giveaway, so I'm not up here preaching with a doll. Some of y'all are like, why do we let the youth pastor fill in for Pastor Fred? But uh, who here has a kid that's about to have a birthday that would enjoy this? Hand shot. Now, is he in college or high school? Because if that's the case, no. But you do? Yeah, he's four. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. But I've actually, I got the box too, so we can make it look like it's brand new. I bought it yesterday, so. <laughs> but T-Rexes, they're these powerful, powerful creatures, these powerful predators, but they got short little arms. Like there's a, a T-shirt I saw where it says, if you're happy and you know it, and it's got a T-Rex on it, it's like clap your, oh. If you don't get it, you'll get it later. But uh, T-Rexes are powerful, but they got short arms. Now, you see, God, he's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's almighty. And he doesn't have any handicap. 
he, he does not have T-Rex arms. Matter of fact, he's got the arms of like the guy in the Geico commercial that's directing traffic. Y'all seen that one where he's like, you just flexing hard? Yeah, he's, he's that guy. It says in Isaiah 59.1, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Come on. In the, in the King James Version, it uses the word hand instead of arm, which also refers to his power. It says the hand of the Lord is not too weak to save. And I love that it uses the word hand here. And then if you go back to Exodus, Exodus 8.19, you're in like the middle of the plagues of Egypt where Pharaoh's magicians at this point, they're like, we don't got an expl- explanation. This is the finger of God. And I love the fact they don't say it's the arm. They don't say it's the hand. This is the finger. The finger of God delivered probably a million people, when you count men, women, and children, out of slavery in Egypt into freedom in the promised land. Come on, that should give us perspective about our problems. If the finger of God can do that, come on, what can the hand of God do in our lives? That should spark us to pray. Come on, ASAP, as soon as prayer. When did the hand of God move, the finger of God move for the Israelites? When they cried out in Exodus 2.23. And this word cry out doesn't imply they were just shouting into the distance. In the Hebrew, it means that you're um, calling out for divine aid in a time of emergency. And that could apply to the Israelites. That could have applied to the Egyptians calling out to Ra or any number of lowercase gods. But you know what's great about our God and the God the Israelites worship, the one true God, is that our God, unlike other gods who want men to serve them, our God serves us. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Acts 17, 25, Paul's going hard. He said, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So God doesn't have T-Rex arms, and you can put down points. God is not Santa Claus. He does not need our prayers. He doesn't need us to believe in him like Santa Claus. He needs the belief of children for his sleigh to fly. Is that how it works? It's been a while, 28, I don't remember. But God doesn't need our prayers. We need prayer. Not just so we can know the answers, but so that we can know God. Because, you see, prayer opens more than just the door to a response. It opens the door to a relationship. You see, sometimes in prayer, our our failure can be that we turn this loving relationship into economics. Like, if I do X, you can do Y for me, right? Like, I know you got T-Rex arms, so I'll scratch your back and then you scratch mine. Or we turn it into quid pro quo. Like, Like, all right, I'll do this, you do that. When really, he doesn't need anything from us. But the good news is he wants to give good things to us. But you think about it, it really just boils down to pride. Think about why guys like me will go into their car and do all this dumb stuff, not really look at instructions. Men won't stop for directions because we like to think we are self-sufficient. We are independent and we can do it on our own. But you know, if you look at any great man in scripture, he was a man of prayer. Any of the great men of scripture were men of prayer. And prayer is ultimately asking God and his power to provide what we can't. It takes recognizing that we're dependent, indebted, and obligated to him. And you see, if you go from Exodus to Isaiah, you see the Israelites delivered from Egypt, put in the promised land, and then over generations they turn from God again. So God says, you know what? You're going to go into exile until you turn back to me. And in Isaiah 59, you see this. You see the Israelites, their pride is broken. They're humbled and they're crying out to God. Or excuse me, it's Isaiah 51.9. Isaiah is crying, or the people of Israel are crying out to God. And they say, wake up, wake up, O Lord. 
Clothe yourself with strength. Flex your mighty right arm. Rouse yourselves as in the day of old. Come on, they're referring back to, to the day of old when he brought them out of Egypt with just his finger. Come on, flex your mighty right arm. Bring us out of exile. And they wait for his response. And I love his response. It's like in Isaiah 52.1. Essentially, he just flips it on them. He says, wake up, wake up, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. It's like he just pulled a Pee Wee Herman. I know you are, but what am I? They're like, are you up in heaven doing this? Right? <laughs> Clothe yourself with strength. You know, prayer isn't us waking up God. Prayer isn't us saying, God, get stronger. I mean, imagine being God. Somebody tells you to get stronger. That's like telling water to get wetter. I mean, okay, thank you. Wake up. Do they not realize I'm omnipresent always, eternally, that I'm almighty eternally? Prayer isn't us waking God up. It's us waking up to the fact that he's present in his power. And we might doubt his, his plan at times, but we should never doubt his power. And what's great is even when we doubt his plan, you can turn to the word and you realize that he has a plan for us and that that plan is through prayer to empower us. Because God not only wants to open the door to a relationship, he wants to open the door to a partnership through prayer. It's one of the most mind-boggling, blockbuster facts in the Bible that the almighty God wants to use our fumbling hands and stumbling feet as his hands and feet. And sometimes I think we can doubt that, but that's why when you read scripture, there's so many affirming phrases or names that he calls us, calls us ambassadors, his beloved, the elect, joint heirs with Christ, his mighty ones, a people of inheritance, a chosen generation, overcomers and conquerors. You know, you start thinking of yourself as an overcomer and a conqueror, you start to walk with a little more swagger, right? Like, all right, I'm an overcomer, I'm a conqueror. But what's great about prayer is that it keeps us from getting prideful. Because what prayer is, is it's where we realize that our impotence needs to get in touch with God's omnipotence. When we realize that we wake up to the power of God and he clothes us with strength. When we awake to our need and God's wealth, you see, prayer glorifies God because it declares the reality that without his power, we can do nothing. God tells us to clothe ourselves with strength. You know, in Philippians, it says, through Christ, I can do all things. Through him who gives me strength. But Jesus tells the disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer reminds us of that. Prayer reminds us of that simple fact that, that God wants to empower us with strength, but that comes only through prayer, ASAP. So don't doubt his power. Don't doubt his plan, and never doubt that he's for you. Because in my second point, I just want to pull from a C.S. Lewis quote in Letters to Malcolm. He says, joy is the business of heaven. And you can subtitle this one, our glorifying pleasure. You see, in Isaiah 51, when the Israelites cry out to God, Isaiah, a couple verses later, is speaking words of hope about how they were going to feel and what was going to happen when they returned to Jerusalem, when they returned to Zion. And we know when we go to heaven, it's referred in Revelation as New Jerusalem. We know that we're going to share some of these feelings when we walk into those gates. And it says in Isaiah 51, it says, They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Now, here at the City Life Church, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've probably heard Pastor Fred or myself reference heaven now and heaven forever. Our belief that not only are we going to experience heaven forever, you know, communion eternally with God, but that God has a piece of heaven for us now. Eternal life that's not only on the length continuum, but on the depth continuum. A, a, a level of fulfillment and a level of joy in our walk with God that he wants to offer us in this life. 
And you got to be uh, mindful of chapters like Hebrew 11 when you, when you talk about this. Because if you look at Hebrews 11, sometimes we skip over the back half where it talks about the people who suffered or martyrs who, who died for the glory of God. But then when you look back at Eden, you look at back at God's original plan, there was no suffering. You know, there, there wasn't even death. You know, we were simply called to glorify God through finding our pleasure in him. I think it's a, a John Piper quote where he says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. That was God's original plan, that he would be glorified through our joy that we would find in the salvation and grace that he would offer. You see, our role in God's glory, in giving God glory, and our pursuit of joy, they aren't separate endeavors. You know, sometimes you might be asked by somebody, are you willing to suffer for the glory of God? You know, as if you saying yes means you have to say no to pursuing joy. But they're closely tied together. If you look at what Jesus says about prayer, in, Ma- in uh, excuse me, John 14, 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. And then just a couple chapters later in John 16, 24, he says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be full. So in one verse he's saying, you know, pray so you can fulfill your joy. In another one he's saying, pray so that, that God's glory can be fulfilled. So is he contradicting himself? No. He's implying that in prayer, those two are closely joined together. Our pursuit of joy and God finding glory. So let's uh, do a word exercise, uh, a little word association. When I say the word heaven, what comes to mind? Angels. Clouds. Scotty. Paradise. Nice. Amanda. Streets of gold. Dustin. Lost loved ones. Come on. Tyler. Eternal. That's good. Sandy. Endless worship. Stairway. Wow. (laughs) You're too young to be like classic rock references over here. (laughs) Anybody else? Love. Come on. Love, joy. What about joy? The joy. Again, it says in Isaiah, everlasting joy will crown our heads. So when we pray, or when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, It's not a dejected, oh, well, I can't get my will, so let me pray for God's will, and if his kingdom comes, maybe I'll get a cut. No, it's it's praying, Lord God, I want heaven, eternal joy. I want to get a taste of that in this life. You know, again, his glory and our joy, they're tied closely together. And I think sometimes we simply think of it the wrong way because we view God the wrong way. We view God as like this stern taskmaster up in heaven whose will to be done on earth is very stern. I mean, how many of you guys know somebody who you got to walk on eggshells around them because they're easily frustrated or easily angered? Now, maybe it's not all the time. Maybe it's like when they're tired or when they're hungry. Now you guys know what I'm talking about. you got to walk on eggshells because you could anger them or frustrate them. If it's your spouse, keep your hand down. Put it away. But I think sometimes we can treat God like this. Like we gotta, when we go into prayer, we got to walk on eggshells because if we say something wrong or stumble over our words that he's going to look at us, like we're stupid, like he's just going to frown upon us. But I like to think that God reigns 24-7 eternally on the throne of heaven with a smile on his face. 
I mean, you think of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is one of God's character qualities. Nowhere does it say frustration, anger. I mean, these are uh, emotions attributed to him. But even in Scripture, when he corrects you, he accepts you. When he disciplines you, it says a loving father. Come on, he smiles upon us. You know, Zephaniah 317 says he rejoices over us with singing. And those aren't the blues. He's not up there singing, ain't no sunshine. He's up there rejoicing over you. And I don't know, I just feel tonight, or maybe whoever is listening, whether you're podcasting, whatever, when I was prepping, just the impression that for some people tonight, you stumble and you've fallen. We, we all fall short of God's glory. We have fallen short. We will fall short. But maybe because of the way your earthly father treated you when you would fall short, maybe abuse you mentally, maybe abuse you physically, maybe just scorn you because you didn't live up to the standard. You know, God doesn't want us to project that onto him. We've been reading through the minor prophets. There's a whole lot of confronting people in sin. There's a whole lot of uh, warning of God's judgment. Hosea is a lot like that, but I love in Hosea 7, it reveals the heart of God. It says, I long to redeem them, but they don't cry out to me. Come on, your sin, your, your falling short, it shouldn't keep you from God. That should be an ASAP for you. As soon as possible, you should be in prayer. Come on, because your sin shouldn't keep you from God. It should draw you to him. Come on, none of us are perfect. That should drive us to prayer. Amen? Because if you knew who you were talking, about, talking to, you would ask. So when you come to him, he's bending down to pick you up. Even when you come out of sin like the prodigal son returning to him, he comes to you like the prodigal father running to meet you. See, God's will is for his children to experience joy. It's for his children to experience pleasure. And that's why God's heart is broken. When we settle for lesser pleasures, when we settle for lesser joys, temporal pleasures in this life that would keep us from him. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said eternity in our hearts. Our hearts can only truly be satisfied in what is eternal, in eternal pleasures and in eternal joy. We can only truly be satisfied in God. And even our founding fathers realized that this was put in our hearts, that this, we were born with this. When you look at the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson writes that we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, where you go to fulfill that happiness, the United States gives you freedoms in that. Even God gives you free will. But I love what uh, St. Augustine said centuries before, where he said, if I were to ask you why you have believed in Christ, why you have become Christians, every man will answer truly for the sake of happiness. Because we are living our lives in pursuit of happiness. And where we find true happiness and eternal joy, joy everlasting, is in God, is in a relationship with God. Hebrews even hints at it in 11 verse 6, where it says if we pray, and it's impossible to please God if we ask him, we don't believe he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not Willy Wonka up in the sky saying, good job, you get nothing, right? He's up there saying, I want to reward you for diligently seeking me. You know, when we're obedient to God, again, he wants to give us a taste of heaven. He wants to give us a, a taste of heaven on earth. And I love the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13, 44, where it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Come on, God should be our treasure. Jesus should be our treasure. You know, he should be our savior. 
He is our Savior. But all men want to be saved. You know, he could, he could be our Lord, but you can submit to a Lord begrudgingly. But when God is your treasure, come on, you simply want to be with him. You want to be in his presence. You want to tap into his love, his joy, his strength. And I don't know about you guys. Uh, I dated my wife for about a year and a half. We lived about almost an hour and a half away from each other. She lived up in Richmond. I lived down here. So we would only see each other essentially on weekends. So after a while, it's about six months of that, David knows the same thing with Hannah. After a while, the, the Monday through Friday is just like a blur. It's like, can I just get to the weekend so I can spend more time with my girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, now wife, you know? Because when you're young and in love, you simply want to be with the one that you cherish. And it should be the same way with God. When he's your treasure, you should want to be in his presence as much as possible. You see, people who know who they're talking to, who have an understanding of who God is, and who want joy, they'll be people of prayer. Because a prayerless person is a weak person. A prayerless person is a joyless person. You know, if we find joy and strength in God, and if we're built for eternal uh, joy and eternal fulfillment. We, God's put eternity in our hearts. It shouldn't surprise us when we go after the temporal pleasures of this world and we forsake prayer and we feel weak or we feel like, man, what is this void? Why do I lack joy? It's because the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I would, I would even say tonight, maybe the reason we don't see as much revival as we'd like to or as many moves of the Spirit as we want to is because we've lost our strength. We've lost our joy. And that's simply because we've lost a passion for prayer. Come on, we got to pick up prayer. 2 Corinthians 7.14 says, God will heal your land. He's talking to the Israelites. I want to heal your land. But he says, ASAP, as soon as prayer, when my people who I've called by name cry out to me, pray to me, then I will heal their land. You know, God healing your workplace, healing those people you're praying for, healing your schools. Come on, it's ASAP. As soon as the people he's called by name humble themselves, realize I can't do this on my own. I need God's power. I need his strength. I need his joy to do this. Come on, then we'll see a move of God. Can we have the, uh, the worship team come up? I essentially want to close where I started with this idea that, that Jesus, he prayed more than anybody. Jesus had a realization of who God was. He knew his characteristics, so he prayed as much or more than anybody. So this was a man who was juiced up on some joy. He had a lot of strength and a lot of joy. So much so that he could endure the cross. Come on, Jesus, I don't think, was looking forward to being torn apart physically and hung on a cross. But he had the strength to endure it, to carry our sins and carry the weight of that cross on Calvary. You know, he was also full of joy. You know, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because of joy. You know, the, the, the word for joy is kara. Sounds like haya, but it's kara, K-R-A. And it means the joy of knowing. It, it implies relationship. It implies friendship. And Jesus had joy before him enduring the cross because he realized that in dying on the cross, he was going to open the door for us to have relationship with his Father in heaven. He realized that through enduring the cross, he was going to sit at the right hand of God the Father in eternal communion with him. And he realized that enduring the cross, that he was going to open the door for God to come into our lives and live in us. So tonight, as the, as the worship team starts, I don't know where you're at, but I would just ask if everybody could just 
bowed our heads and closed our eyes. If tonight you would say, you know what, <laughs> I've never come to God in prayer. I've never come to him and said, God, I, I want you to walk through that door into my life and take control. Lord God, I, I want to find the joy that I haven't been able to find elsewhere that I can only find in you. I want to find the strength that I, I've been trying to find elsewhere that I can only find in you. If, that, if that's you tonight, then just with every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand where you're at. We've even turned the lights down. Just wherever you're at tonight. It's good. But even for those tonight who would say, you know what, in my past I have. I have opened the door. I have uh, let God into my heart and into my life. You know, that's, that's a, there's a continual call to prayer. There's a continual call to open that door. You know, Revelation 3.20, where it says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you, let, if you let me in, you open that door, I will come in and commune with you. So often we turn that into a, an altar call moment or we turn it into an evangelistic verse. But this is God. This is Jesus speaking to the church. This is God speaking to those who already knew him. He's saying, I, I stand at the door and knock perpetually. I want to meet you in prayer. I want to clothe you in strength for those things I've called you to. I want to give you joy to get through those, those valley times where you feel like there's no hope and all hope is lost. He's saying, you know what, maybe your happiness based on circumstance, it's not available, but there's joy in me that comes at new every morning, and that joy can be your strength. Come on, the pursuit of joy doesn't have to forsake glorifying God. God wants to be glorified as we seek him and are satisfied in him. Come on. The more you open that door, when he's knocking, the more you'll grow in relationship to him. The more you open that door when he's knocking, the more you'll get to know God. And the more you know God, the more you'll be a person of prayer. And the more you're a person of prayer, the more you'll see God move in your life, the more you'll see God move in your circumstances. Come on, we gotta be people that open the door when God is knocking. When God is saying, I want to step in and clothe you with strength. Come on, I wanna clothe you with strength. I wanna clothe you with a garment of joy and praise. Come on, let's stand now as we get back into worship. Let's, let's enter in. Let's, let's act this out. Let's ask. Let's seek. Let's knock. Let's pursue. Come on, let God in tonight as we worship him. He's knocking and he wants to commune with every one of us. <laughs>